listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Scripture this morning is from Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13 through Isaiah 53, verse 3. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you, for his appearance was so marred, beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. So my wife is over in the overflow room, um, so she's not here to defend herself. Um, so before I tell you the story, I want you to know I did ask for permission before sharing it, uh, and I got permission. Just to be clear, she did say she did say yes. So this is one of my absolute favorite stories about my wife about how just. Well, anyway, let me tell you the story. So it's, it's, we're in seminary. It's like 12 years ago. We're down in Dallas, okay? So we're driving somewhere in Dallas and in a, in a it's sort of a multicultural city where there's just, there's a lot of um, signs in multiple languages. So you don't necessarily know that you're looking at English when you're looking at English. And, and so we're, we're driving along and she's looking out the window and sees one of those big box uh, gyms. They're all over. Uh, in Dallas. Dallas, if you didn't know, super obsessed with appearance, more uh, plastic surgeons per capita than anywhere else in the U.S. So there's these gyms are everywhere, and we're driving by one, and she just kind of looks out the window and, and sighs. She's like, I just, <sighs> fitness isn't a Spanish word, so why does it say la fitness? <laughs> and I thought she was joking. So I looked over, and she wasn't. Um, I was like, honey, I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure it's L.A. fitness, as in, like, Los Angeles. And she just whips around and stares at me, her face a mix of, like, horror and despair. And she's like, but, but but I've been calling it La Fitness at work. And no one has corrected me. They've started calling it La Fitness. And you got to know, this was, this was the fanciest place she has ever worked or that I have ever been in. It was a mid-level hedge fund at the time. Mid-level, they managed $16 billion in capital every year. And once while she was leaving the building, Chuck Norris was walking in. So like, soup's fancy, okay? And she was already just paranoid about feeling out of place and insecure here. So that, that moment of realizing, 
I've been publicly wrong. <laughs> you know the feeling? Have you experienced it? Have you ever read or heard or seen something that you completely misunderstood? And it wasn't until somebody pointed out to you the plain misinterpretation, like how the truth was right there and you missed it. How did you feel when that happened? The reason I bring that up and tell that story, besides the fact that it's my favorite story, I've been waiting 10 years to figure out how to fit it into a sermon. Uh, the main reason I tell it is because in Isaiah 52 and 53, uh, this, this is a, a five-part song, by the way, about the servant that God is going to send to rescue Israel. And in these first two and kind of third parts, Isaiah is writing and saying, look, we, God showed up to help, and we completely missed it completely misinterpreted what he was doing and what he was saying. Like, the truth was right there and plainly in front of us. And we missed it. Because you get it into your head that God is going to work in a certain way. He's going to show up in a certain way. He always acts in a certain way, and pretty soon you can't see it any differently. And so then when God does show up, you miss it. The thing about God is he rarely shows up the way we expect him to. God rarely shows up the way we expect him to. And that's the point that Isaiah is making at the beginning of this last song about the servant. Today, we're going to focus just in on these first two parts of this five-part song. That's uh, 52, 13 through 15 is the first part, talking about his exaltation and his suffering. And then 53, 1 through 3, the second part, talking about his insignificance, why they missed the point. So I hope I know you, you've written this down. You're ready to jump in with me to Isaiah 52. God rarely shows up how you expect him to. So let me show you what I mean from Isaiah 52 and how they missed it and how we might be in danger of missing God when he shows up. All right, let's jump in. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13. Like I said, this is the, the part of the song that focuses first in celebration and exaltation and then in suffering, two things that don't really go together. In verse 13, God is speaking about his servant. He says, behold, my servant shall act wisely. Now, act wisely is, kind of carries this connotation of he's going to succeed in what he does because, you know, he's going to act wisely in accordance with the reality of the way things are and what he's trying to accomplish. So you, you, you can read it kind of along these lines. Behold, my servant shall succeed. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. It's a song that starts with celebration, with exaltation. It's a fancy word for famous making. He's going to be made famous, and God piles on this three-tier layering of exaltation for the servant. He'll be elevated, lifted up, exalted. At first, I kind of pictured this like, uh, like an Olympic athlete ascending, you know, the, um, what do they call the thing at the end where it says first, second, and third? The podium, thank you. Uh, so uh, ascending the podium, he's going from third to second to first, and it occurred to me, no, he's already first. He's first, but then he's getting higher and then yet higher again. This is as first place as you can possibly get. Now, this triple exalting means that it's not possible to exalt him any more than this. 
So it's the heights of celebration of an exaltation that cannot get any higher, and then one line later, it plummets to the depths of a suffering, a debasement that doesn't, it's just not compatible with this kind of exaltation. They don't go together. To be lifted up is to be blessed, to be given power, to be debased, to be made to suffer is to be made weak, cursed. Because God rarely shows up how you expect him to. Let's look at verse 14. It starts out with this line, as many were astonished at you. Briefly, God is speaking to the servant. As many were astonished at you, he goes on, but that word astonished is a fun word. It looks both forwards and backwards. It's got both a positive and a negative sense to it. Positively, it means to be impressed by, like astonished at what somebody does. So this servant is so high and lifted up and exalted that we're astonished when we see it. We're impressed when we see it. But it also has a negative sense of being shocked or appalled or horrified when put in a negative context. It's more of this, this feeling of, uh, of you, you see it and you have to look away. Uh, that's how shocking it is. When you, when you read this line with the, the words that came before, it's positive. You're exalted and everyone is astonished at it. When you read the lines with, or read this line with what comes afterwards, it's shocking and appalling because of the suffering that this servant goes through. As many as were shocked at you, I mean, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. We went three steps up in exaltation and now three steps down in what feels like condemnation. They're shocked at his suffering. I mean, suffering to the extent that he's unrecognizable from other individuals. Put this guy in his suffering in a lineup, and you wouldn't be able to pick him. You wouldn't be able to tell who he is or pick him out from others. But his disfigurement goes beyond that. It's to the point where you're looking at it and thinking, I'm not even sure that's a human being I'm looking at. He's so disfigured in his suffering. Who is that? I don't know. Is that even human? I don't know. And so shock is the response, that turning away. My wife and I, a couple weeks or two ago, we were watching uh, Dateline together. It's great date night stuff um, if you're looking for something to do while you're stuck inside. And this was a Dateline special on Valentine's Day, like how love goes wrong. The culprit in this case was a, a world-famous surgeon I'd never heard of. And as they're digging into the background of like, what this guy is good at, suddenly they cut to video of a surgery in process. It's an esophageal replacement. So they've got like a line cut and skin peeled back, and they're showing it, and there's blood. And that reaction was exactly my reaction of like, I don't need to see that. Right? That's not what a human being is supposed to look like. Put that thing back where it came from. Like, there's just... That same sense of shock or revulsion, that sort of gut-wrenching sense of that's the, that this was coming through in this, they were shocked at you when they saw you. It's that feeling you get when you, you, know, when you see a, like a compound fracture in real life or a shoulder just hanging out of joint or an open wound or vegetables on your plate, like that's... <laughs> You just turn away from it. How? I can't. That's not right. 
And yet this is how the servant, when he shows up, is going to look. This is why people didn't get it when Jesus showed up 700 years after this was written. Because they're, they're looking, they're not looking for someone like this. They're not looking for someone beaten beyond recognition and suffering a death no human should ever have to be subjected to. They miss it because God rarely shows up how you expect him to. And Isaiah goes on to write, he says that this, this astonishment at his exaltation, the shock at his appearance, will, in, in verse 15, go on to sprinkle many nations. If you're confused by that, join the company. There's, there's some things going on in the Hebrew behind this that I don't want to take time to get, I mean, I do want to take time to get into, but I'm not going to because we don't have the time. But for my money, uh, and, and not just for me, but a lot of people agree that it should probably be translated, so shall he startle many nations. It's another word for the shock that you see when you see these two things going together, this is exaltation and this suffering. He, to, to the extent to which these go together, so he will shock many nations and to the point where people just, they have to be quiet in front of him. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. In his presence, seeing these things come together and understanding it, just everyone stops in awe, in revulsion and in astonishment at the servant God will send to save his people. Now, if we're just reading through these verses, maybe for the first or second time, or we don't know the story that is to come, we don't know how Jesus is going to come and fulfill this, it, it's easy to read these three verses and get a sense of a, of a timeline of what the servant is going to do in his ministry. He's going to show up in power and in wisdom. He's going to show up powerfully before all of the nations that are oppressing Israel into their exile. That's what chapter 52 is all about leading up to this song. He's going to show up. He's going to redeem Jerusalem. He's going to bring the people home. There's going to be these, you know, these signs of power that you would, you would recognize, and then he's going to be exalted for what he does. But for some reason, after the exaltation, then after this new exodus, after bringing Israel into a new golden age, he's subjected to unfathomable suffering. Maybe we can understand why when Jesus did show up and begin to fulfill these verses, he didn't, he didn't use that timeline, and so people missed it. He flipped the timeline upside down. He didn't show up in power. He showed up in infancy and in weakness. He didn't save and release his people and lead them out from under military oppression. He, he rescued them from their infirmities, infirmities, their sorrows, their sicknesses. He didn't exercise the, the power, the might of his arm. Instead, he submitted to power and was brought low and weak and killed. You can understand why then. I mean, some of Jesus' first followers, it's the story told at the end of the Gospel of Luke when after Jesus was crucified, before he raised again, spoiler alert, they're, they're saying like, we thought he was going to be the one who would save Israel. We thought he was going to be the one that would fulfill this, but crucified, killed. 
that can't be the that, that can't be the servant. And they missed it. It was right in front of them. And they missed it. Because God rarely shows up how you expect him to. Now, second part. First part, celebration and exaltation, depths of suffering. Second part, bit of a defense. Uh, not really a defense, more of an explanation. Isaiah now is writing in the first person, so the tone shifts, the voice shifts, and, and he's putting himself 700 years in the future, uh, putting himself in the voice of someone who had the servant right in front of them, saw all of this, and yet missed it. And, and he's explaining why these words are, are tinged with a sense of regret and lament, maybe even repentance, of how... <laughs> How did we miss it? Well, I guess I know how we missed it. 53 verse 1. Well, who, who has believed what, what he heard of us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Read that first line. Who has believed what he has heard from us? Read it like this. Who would have believed if we told them that this was the person who was the servant? Who would have believed that? Who would have believed this message? Who would have believed our message? No one. No one, no one would have believed that a crucified homeless rabbi was the Son of God. That's not what the Son of God looks like. That's not when so, what someone who has been blessed by God looks like. Why would, why would we think that person is this servant, this anointed one, this Messiah? That's not what a Messiah looks like. Power, remember? This guy came in weakness. That's the second line. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It, you know, in other words, when was the power of God ever revealed through him? Sure, there were some things early on, but obviously the suffering he went through means that was just chance or maybe he made God angry or something. I don't know what, but you can't be both blessed by God and suffer like this. They don't go together. I mean, we can get it. Their thinking is understandable, right? All of the external markers that we use to measure whether someone is doing God's will and being blessed by God, they weren't there. They weren't there. The ones that were were obviously just chalked up to chance after the crucifixion. How could these verses be about Jesus, the, the ones who are chosen by God don't suffer like this, right? Isaiah's explanation continues, verse 2, for he, the servant, grew up before him, God, like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or, or majesty that we should look at him and, and no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah is saying, well, when, he, when we look at this guy, he didn't look like a king. He didn't look, we, we were looking for tall and strong. We got a twig and a root. We were looking for charisma, for, for a certain cut of the jaw that means kingly features, right? We were looking for someone with executive hair. And we got, we got no form, no majesty, no beauty. Why would we desire him in the sense of, well, why would, why would we want to follow him? He didn't look like someone you followed. 
Now, if you, if you know the story of Jesus, you know there, there was a considerable amount of time, a good three years of Jesus' public ministry before his crucifixion, before he went to the cross, in which large crowds of people did gather and follow him. Now, many followed him only for a short time until his teaching got too difficult for them to figure out how to live that way. But there was a group that they did see through the formlessness, the majesticlessness, the beautilessness. They saw through it and saw that, yes, this is the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Messiah, Peter called him. But, but many did not. And so these, these verses... I, I don't, they're, they're either not about that first three years when many did follow, or what I think is more likely, these three verses are about, they are written from the perspective of someone like Isaiah, a religious leader, a prophet, uh, someone who was in charge of the religious education of Israel. The Pharisees, the, the, the rabbis of the day, the teachers of the day, this is the perspective that Isaiah is writing from, the group of people who were doing their best to prove that this Jesus guy couldn't be the servant. They're saying, look, we know what a servant is going to look like. He's going to be exalted. And I don't know about the rest of that stuff, but we know he's going to be exalted. And, and this guy isn't. He, he, can't, he can't be this guy. And so they, they, how, how would a, a, a homeless crucified rabbi who was put to death by the Roman state for threatening an insurrection... How could that be the Son of God? How could that be the servant? In other words, this is what's important. The people who knew this passage best, the people who studied it, the people who thought through how it would work together and what to look for so you knew who the servant was, the people who taught other people what to anticipate and how to know when God had showed up and was going to save his people, the people who knew this better than anyone else ended up doing exactly what it predicts. They missed the servant right in front of them. Because you get it in your head that God is going to show up in some certain way or he only acts in certain ways and then he rarely shows up how you expect him to. And you miss it. So the consequences, verse 3, are understandable and anticipatable, right? If someone has been stricken and smitten by God, well, then of course he's going to be despised and rejected by men. I mean, when we looked at him, we saw a man of sorrow, someone acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men turn and look the other way when he walks by, we figured he was despised, and so we, we didn't think he was worth following. So far from following the servant, they shunned him, dismissed him, mocked him, rejected him. And you know, if you're reading this verse in advance and it's standing on its own, you could read this, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as someone who's chronically sickly and heart sick, you know, someone who's always ill or ill at ease with human company, <laughs> someone who's a bit of an Eeyore and an eyesore at the same time. Why would you want to follow a guy like that? On the other hand, later verses will tell us, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, yeah, because he took ours. He bore ours. 
like a, like a good country physician. He, he empathized with his people and absorbed their pain and their grief and their sorrow as his own, and yet to even a higher level. The people Isaiah is talking about, they had the servant right in front of them, an insignificant, suffering rabbi, the Son of God. And they missed it. Because God rarely shows up how you expect Him to. And if that's true, then that means there's some things we should think about in terms of how we expect God to show up, how we ask God to show up in our lives. It may be that we are so expecting God to show up in one way that when He shows up in another way, we completely miss it. The Jews were looking for power, and so when Jesus showed up in weakness, they missed it. The Greek-speaking world was looking for wisdom, so when Jesus showed up in foolishness, they missed it. Sometimes we tend to think that when God shows up, He's going to rescue us from our predicaments. Whatever is going wrong in our lives, He will show up and rescue us from it. So when He shows up and instead of rescuing us from it, walks with us through it, I should say carries us through it, we miss it. Sometimes we think when God shows up, that's when our suffering will stop. When our suffering stops, that's how we know that God has showed up. But when it doesn't stop, we continue suffering. Then we miss it when He does show up. Sometimes we think when God shows up, it's going to be in a miraculous moment. I'm going to be flooded with emotion. There's going to be this date I can put on the calendar or a line in the sand. I can say, this is when God showed up and changed me. But when instead our lives look like the long, hard slog of the slow growth of virtue over time, we think, well, God never shows up for me. And we miss it. Sometimes we think when God shows up, when He shows up, He's, he's going he's gonna to make me feel good about myself. He's going to tell me I'm worthy and that I'm lovely and that I'm lovable. And so when He shows up in convicting us of our sin and sending guilt for our sin and pointing us back to Him for rescue, we think, well, that can't be God. God's supposed to make me feel good about myself, and then we miss it. Or conversely, for some of you, sometimes we think that when God shows up, we'll know He shows up because we'll, we're being punished for something we did wrong. We're being squashed. We're being kept down. That, that bad thing that's happening to me must be because of something I did. That must be God telling me, I don't pray enough. I don't give enough. I don't work enough. I don't love Him enough. And so He's going to take away these things, and He's going he's to ruin my life until I finally come around and I don't step out of line again. So instead, when he shows up in mercy and grace and forgiveness from himself and from the people of love, that love you, we, we miss it and think, well, that's, that can't be God. 
Sometimes we think that when God shows up, it's going to be a direct answer to our prayers. Whatever the thing is we're praying for, whatever it is we want relief from, whatever that is for you, I'll know that God has showed up when that, that relief finally comes. Because let's face it, I know how to fix the problems in my life. I just need God to do it for me. And so when he does it, well, great, God has shown up, except when he shows up in a way we didn't expect, and we miss it. So, all right, let's, let's ask ourselves this question. How are you expecting God to show up? In your life, there's something you're going through, there's something you're praying about, there's something you're working towards, there's something where you've, you've come to the point where you've said, God, I, I need your help in this. I need you to show up in this. How are you expecting God to show up? And is it possible that your expectation of how God will show up is blinding you to the way he is showing up. Maybe we should spend less time praying for God to show up and more time praying for him to show us when he showed up. Less time saying, God, I, I need you to show up in this way and fix this thing for me, and more time saying, God, I know you're here and you're working. Show me what you're doing so I can see it. Show me what you're doing so I can praise you for it. Show me what you're doing so that I can love you more because of it. So when we're stuck seeing God in only one way, as only acting in one way, as, as saying, well, God, obviously, if he's God, he's going to do it this way, then he shows up in a way we don't expect, and we miss it. There have been a... a there's been a lot of times in my life where I have known exactly how I needed God to show up. And I've gone to places in his word where he has said, this, this is what I did in the past, and here's what I'll do in the future. And I'll say, God, look, you said you would do this, so do it. Show up. And this, this is not, I'm not talking about selfish things. There's been plenty of examples of that, too. I'm talking about good things where it's like, this is good ministry. This is good work. These are good blessings that God has promised, and I want him to give the blessings. So, God, you said you would do this, so do it this way. Show up. And then he doesn't. Until a few years later. You know, you're looking back on it, and with the benefit of L hindsight, you look back on it and you realize the truth was right there the whole time, and I missed it. God showed up, but I was so convinced he was going to do it this way that I missed it when he showed up like this. Over and over and over again, God surprises us. He doesn't show up the way we expect him to. Rarely does he give us a roadmap for what he's going to do. But when he does show up, and the way he chooses to show up, it's always better. It's always better than what I expected. Let's pray.
Father, when we find ourselves in this position where we have turned to you and have said we are insufficient on our own, we cannot accomplish what we desire on our own, we cannot come to you on our own, we cannot make ourselves acceptable to you on our own. We turn to you and we ask for deliverance, for provision, for comfort, for salvation. (laughs) When we do, we, we confess. We almost always come with an idea of how we want that done and what we think you're going to do. Father, this morning we humble ourselves to admit that you do not have to work the way we want you to, that you rarely work the way we want you to. So this morning we trust that you are working, you are comforting, you are providing, you are sustaining, you are saving, and we just ask that you would show us, show us how. Help us to listen to your spirit and to your word, to your church and to one another as we point out the way you are working in this world and in ourselves, we pray. And we pray in the name of the one who showed up unexpectedly for us when we did not deserve it and could not earn it. The one to whom we owe everything, your son, our savior, Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.